Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri. The Vigilante Murders, Bickford and Quick, 1869. The February morning air was crisp and cold. David Zweifel pulled his coat collar tighter around his neck to break the chill. The horse's hoofs clacked rhythmically, and the wagon wheels clattered over the gravel on the Potosi Road leading to Hillsboro, Missouri, as he neared the cemetery. His horse began to balk as they drew closer to Mr. Ulrich Hubeli's house. That was strange. It was still dawn and shadows still lingered, but the horse had never shown fear of traveling that road before. Something was bobbing in the spreading oak tree up ahead of him in the distance. As he drew nearer, the horrible sight of two men twisting slowly from a branch which partially obstructed the road met his startled eyes. Their long, disheveled hair hung loosely, partially covering ghastly white faces. Their hands were a mottled purple. One had kicked off a shoe in his struggle against death. He had a shirt thrown over his shoulders, while the other wore a blue federal uniform jacket. Their hats were laid on the ground beneath them. Zweifel became violently ill. He climbed back into the wagon and headed straight to the jailhouse. Welcome to another edition of Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri. I am your host, Mindy Hudson, genealogist at the Jefferson County Library. Each week we bring you stories of murders and scandals which have occurred in the county's 200-year history. The site for what would become the town of Hillsborough was chosen because of a natural spring which was located at a place known in the 1830s as Horan's Fork, along the old coach road. At that time, the road roughly followed Old Highway 21 and turned west where Highway BB is today, and then south on Elm Street. Stagecoaches running between St. Louis and Potosi stopped at the spring to water the horses while passengers rested at Mr. Henson's coach stop. According to an article in the Jefferson Democrat, quote, water from the big spring formed a pool at the foot of two large trees on the hillside, end quote. The county seat was originally in Herculaneum, Missouri, located beside the Mississippi River. In 1840, as the county grew, the decision was made to move the seat of government to a more central location, and Hillsborough was chosen. When the country was split in two during the Civil War, federal troops used the courthouse as a headquarters, and local law and justice was all but suspended. Following the close of the war, a new courthouse was built of red brick. A jailhouse was located nearby in the second story of a building which housed the jailkeeper, the sheriff, and a deputy on the first floor. Stairs outside the building led to the cells which were locked behind a reinforced door. The events that occurred leading to the hanging of the two men involved two counties and spanned the entire decade of the 1860s. 
The story was constructed using resources available through the library's genealogy databases and collections. The hanging of Bickford and Quick began with another death, Alex Walker. Walker was born in 1832 in Ohio. He married a widow named Margaret Parker, who had three children from her previous marriage. They were living in Potosi in 1860, a little southwest of DeSoto, Missouri, according to census records. Walker was a carpenter, employed by Mr. Charles Waldron of Jefferson County. He was unmarried and boarding at the Waldron household. Mr. Waldron was a prominent citizen in the Vineland vicinity of Vallis Mines Township. It was an election year, November 3, 1868, and Waldron was at McFarland's store working the polls. The polls closed about 4.30 p.m., and Mr. Waldron started for home. He arrived about sundown and put his horse in the barn when Alex Walker, who had been hunting, arrived at the house. The men entered the house together to eat the supper Mrs. Waldron had prepared. After the meal, the two men sat at the table talking. They kept hearing someone outside hollering what sounded like Walker's name, so they stepped out there to see what was going on. It was dark by this time, but about two minutes after stepping into view, a shot rang out, and Alex Walker dropped to the ground moaning in agony. Mr. Waldron, having no idea who was out there and why they were shooting, panicked and ran for the cover of the woods, leaving his wife and children inside the house. Waldron's wife, Mary Jane, heard the shots and ran out to the porch to see if her husband had been shot. She found Walker lying in a pool of blood, dying. Not able to find Charles, she ran to the nearest neighbor, John Mothershed, for help. He gathered several neighbors to go back with him to the Waldron residence, including W. Crippen, Charles Graves, Thomas Johnston, and Willis Mothershed. They arrived between 7 to 8 o'clock p.m. and found Walker dead and alone on the porch. There was quite a lot of speculation as to the identity of the suspect. Two names seemed most promising, Charles Bickford and Samuel Hildebrand. Now the sheriff had to tease apart the evidence to determine who could have killed Alex Walker. We will talk more in detail about Sam Hildebrand in another episode. For now, it is enough to know that Sam was from the area and had made quite a reputation for himself as an ambush killer or bushwhacker during the Civil War. His usual method of killing was to hide in the brush and shoot victims in the manner Walker was killed. Charles Bickford was a local troublemaker who had an ongoing feud with Walker. Bickford, sometimes called Bigford, was born about 1834 in Maine. He was living in Jefferson County, Vallis Township, near the southern border of the county by the time of the 1860 census. He married Lavinia Johnson about 1861. They had three daughters and one son, Stella, Lucy, Vina, and Charles Jr., 
When war broke out in 1861, Bickford served in Company K, 5th Missouri Infantry, but later transferred to Company M, 1st Missouri Cavalry. Bickford had a drinking problem that was severe enough to get him court-martialed April 24, 1863, for, quote, swearing at an officer and hitting him in the back of the head while drunk in a tavern, end quote. Bickford did manage to acquire some property in Township 39 North, Range 3 East, Ballas Township, near the parcel of land owned by Charles Waldron. Alex Walker's body was brought to B.S. Reppy's place, where Dr. S. Berkeley and Dr. Evans examined it. They found Walker's body had been struck by five shots through the bosom and collar of his shirt. One passed through the left arm and one through the center of the neck. The balls were molded revolver bullets. The coroner's inquest determined that Alex Walker came to his death by a gunshot wound near the heart by an unknown assailant. After the inquest, witnesses were called to testify about any clues that might identify the murderer. Charles Waldron testified that Hildebrand had been spotted in DeSoto recently, and he had also heard there was a feud between Hildebrand and Walker. However, he did know of the conflicts between Walker and Bickford over cedar boards. In addition, he had seen Bickford at the store during the election the morning of the murder, carrying a gun. Charles Graves had seen Bickford headed toward John Mothershed's place about dusk that day carrying a gun. Willis Mothershed also saw Bickford pass his house on horseback carrying a gun, headed toward his own home. James Johnston saw Bickford near dusk on horseback between Willis and John Mothershed's properties carrying a gun, and he appeared to be intoxicated. Thomas J. Johnson knew both Walker and Bickford. He knew about their feud and had heard Bickford threaten to put Walker, quote, where the dogs wouldn't bark at him, end quote, two weeks before the murder. Charles H. Bickford was called before the examiners by John Mothershed. On the way to Hillsborough, Bickford mentioned that he had left his gun somewhere in the previous evening and needed to go find it on the way. Mothershed agreed, so Bickford led him to Mr. Pritchett's house, where he picked up the weapon out of the brush, a double-barreled shotgun. Strangely, when he picked up the gun, he fired it, startling Mothershed. As they mounted their horses, Mothershed noticed the gun wadding that fell to the ground. He stooped over quietly and picked it up, putting it in his pocket. Upon arrival at Mr. Reppy's, Bickford passed by the room where Walker's body was laid out, but made no comment. When asked, he admitted he and Walker had a drunken brawl in April 1867, but claimed they had cooled down over it. He also confirmed he had accused Walker of stealing Cedar Post and had Walker arrested. Walker had won the suit, but he said he had not seen him again until that very day, November 4th. 
When asked to account for his whereabouts the previous day, Bickford said he had gone to McFarland's store about 11 a.m. that morning. Afterwards, he went to DeSoto until about 4 o'clock p.m. in the afternoon. He did admit to carrying a gun with him, but insisted he had left it at a fork in the road before entering DeSoto. He claimed to have picked it back up on his way home, but decided he was too intoxicated to handle the gun, so he left it at Mr. Pritchett's property, hidden in some brush. As the evidence for the case was gathered, it seemed likely that they had their prime suspect. John Hurst found a gun wadding made from a torn bill advertisement on Waldron's porch, about 13 paces from where Walker's body fell. The wadding that John Mothershed picked up from Bickford's gun that day matched the wadding Hurst had found. The bullets in the gun were the same as those in Walker's body. Bickford's story was constructed to suggest that he did not have the gun when he was headed in the direction of his house. Bickford lived southwest of DeSoto. Mr. Waldron's property was located northwest of Bickford's. Mr. Pritchett's had two pieces of property. One was a little southwest of DeSoto. The second was just northeast of Mr. Waldron's. It isn't clear which place the gun was located. However, Bickford had intentionally led Mothershed to the hiding place to suggest he wouldn't have had possession of the gun as he neared the Waldron's place on his way home. By planting it at Pritchett's either right after the murder or early the next day, before he was summoned to be questioned, he thought it would cast doubt in the minds of the authorities in case he was questioned. Bringing Mother Shed along with him to locate the gun would give him a witness that it was where he claimed it would be and hopefully lend credence to his version of the events. However, the circumstantial evidence strongly suggested that Bickford was the murderer. Squire Reppy ordered Constable Washburn to arrest Bickford. Bickford didn't seem very upset over the arrest. On the way to jail, he talked with Washburn about his defense and who he planned to hire as his attorney. He casually asked if they could swing by his house on the way to jail to allow him to change clothes and gather some personal items. Washburn thought this was a reasonable request, so they made that detour. Bickford got his belongings gathered up, changed into his best clothing, and the two men resumed their trek toward Hillsborough as the evening sky was darkening. Suddenly, Bickford kicked his horse and fled. Because he had been so cooperative up to this point, he caught the constable completely off guard. He gave chase, but the prisoner got away. In February 1869, Bickford was finally discovered living in Washington County under the name of Smith, when he was recaptured by the authorities there. A.L. Frizzell was escorting him back to Hillsborough. He didn't want to have the same experience as Washburn, so he wanted to make sure Bickford knew he had a gun and would use it, if needed. However, when he reached into his pocket to draw out the gun, it fired accidentally. The bullet passed through one of Frizzell's fingers, but it also struck Bickford in the thigh. The wound was not life-threatening, but was very painful. 
Despite all that drama, Bickford was brought to the jail in Hillsborough to await trial. We now turn our attention to another murder that occurred in Washington County on the southwest border of Jefferson County. George Higginbotham was a wealthy man who owned several properties in both Washington and Jefferson counties. He was married with a large family. On May 23, 1863, two men broke into his home to rob him. Higginbotham refused to tell them where his money was hidden, so they killed him, trying to get the information from him. It took five years to find out and arrest one of the suspects, James Quick. Quick was indicted for the murder in April 1868. Because Mr. Higginbotham was a well-known and respected gentleman, Quick was granted a change of venue to Jefferson County and was taken to Hillsborough to await trial. Still, his attorney argued that Mr. Higginbotham's influence would have been significant in Jefferson County also. Therefore, Quick was granted another change of venue to Iron County. He was housed in the Hillsborough Jail that February, awaiting transfer. And so it happened that both Charles Bickford and James Quick were being held in the jail at Hillsborough, Missouri in February 1869. Sometime after midnight on February 15th, William Clark, the jailer, was awakened by a banging on the door. Clark called out asking what the commotion was about and was told that the men were delivering a prisoner. Clark dressed and opened the door. Just then, one of the men seized him and declared that he was their prisoner. They were armed and declared that they wanted the two men who were being held in the jail, Bickford and Quick. The noise woke Sheriff Luchtmeyer and Deputy Volmucker, who were sleeping in adjoining rooms. When they appeared in the lobby, they saw that Mr. Clark was being held at gunpoint. Clark refused to help the men release the prisoners. Give us Quick and Bigford. We must have them. Give us the keys, they demanded. But Clark said no. We have a 150 men here. We will have them, the men replied calmly. They brought the three lawmen outside to the staircase that led to the upstairs prison. The sheriff and deputy were also brought out. They discussed trying to slip away and sounding an alarm for help. As they began to move, however, twenty or more men appeared from the dark and surrounded them. They didn't recognize the men and whispered that they must be from Washington County. It was apparent they were being closely watched and abandoned the notion of sounding the alarm. Clark was marched up the staircase, but still refused to cooperate. One of the men took the keys and demanded, Which one opens the door? Clark told him to find out himself, which he did. Upon entering the cell, they called out for James Quick, who thought he was being rescued. He made no attempt to fight the men. Bickford refused to get up. The two men jerked him up to his feet as he struggled, but the wound he had received upon being shot during the arrest prevented him from escaping them. The lawmen were ordered to go back inside and stay there 
with the warning that men would remain behind to shoot anyone who attempted to leave the building before daylight. Early the next morning, David's wife came into the jail to report there were two men hanging in a tree along the Potosi Road. Several local men accompanied the sheriff about a third of a mile from the courthouse where they found the remains of Charles Bickford and James Quick hanging from an oak on Mr. Hubelli's property. The rope used had buried itself in the flesh of the men's necks, and the knot for the noose was to the back of their necks, not beneath the left ear as the hangman would do to ensure an instant death. These men had likely suffocated to death slowly. While they were examining the scene, a young man came rushing up. Upon seeing the men gathered around the tree, he looked relieved. He explained he had heard about the lynching near the graveyard. He was building a house just beyond Mr. Hubelli's and feared the exposed rafters would have made a tempting place for a hanging. For his part, Ulrich Hubelli was so disturbed by the horrifying event that he took his axe and a hired man to help him cut down the tree. He then, quote, burned it up, every twig of it, end quote. No one was ever arrested for the lynching, and the tone of most newspaper accounts made it clear that the opinion of most citizens was good riddance to bad rubbish. Lavinia Johnson Bickford remarried to W.H. Manis in December 1874 and had four more children from that union. She passed away November 4, 1924, and is buried in DeSoto. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri, brought to you by the Jefferson County Library Genealogy Department at the Northwest Branch, 5180 State Road, PP, High Ridge, Missouri. If you would like more information, please contact us at 636-677-8186 or email mhudson at jeffcolib.org. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday, February 22nd at 5 o'clock p.m. as we bring you The Bushwhacker Murder, The Story of Sam Hildebrand. If you enjoy these podcasts, please tell your family and friends to listen. Earlier podcasts can be found on Buzzsprout, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other venues.